Well, good morning. Welcome to Glenkirk this morning. Uh, you know, when my dad got out of the Navy, um, he started his own pool cleaning business. And he eventually found his niche cleaning swimming pools for, I, I used to call him the pool man for the rich and famous, for very wealthy homeowners throughout the San Fernando Valley. And he did that until he retired at 69 years old. Um, and when I was a kid, <clears throat> during the summer, um, I would work with him um, on his route. Now, helping my dad clean pools was not exactly my idea of a um, summer break. Um, but I did learn a lot about hard work during those summers. And one of my jobs when um, we came to uh, um, a home that he was going to clean the pool, one of my jobs was to get out of the truck and to open the gate. Now, some had electric gates, but this was a long time ago. Not a lot did. Most of the gates, I had to get out of the truck and unlock manually and open it. And I could always tell how wealthy the homeowner was and how nice the house and the pool was going to be based on the gate. Because gates are designed to keep people away from something that's valuable inside. The more valuable that something is, usually the sturdier and the stronger the gate is. Now, we've been in this epiphany series through the eight I am statements of Jesus that are found in the book of John in the Bible. And today we come to the fourth I am statement where Jesus says, I am the gate. And from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, we're going to find two epiphanies, two surprising insights about Jesus in his declaration that he is the gate. So we're going to be in John chapter 10. And since I'm going to read the whole text up front, um, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word today? This is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own, he goes on ahead of them because the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said to them again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You can be seated. This is God's word for us today. 
Jesus addresses this fourth I am statement to a group of people called the Pharisees. And as you may already know, the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who frequently had disagreements with Jesus. The Pharisees believed that the reason why God was allowing the Romans to occupy and to oppress the people of Israel is because the people of Israel were not godly enough. They weren't good enough yet. They believed that if the people of Israel would just try harder and be better, that God would intervene and get rid of the Romans. So the Pharisees became kind of like the, the virtue and vice police. That was always looking over people's shoulders, trying to get them to obey God and to do good. But the Pharisees added a bunch of extra laws to the 600 plus laws already found in the Old Testament. It was over these extra laws that the Pharisees created that they often were in disagreement with Jesus about. Now in this passage addressed to the Pharisees, Jesus seems to mix up two different metaphors. One metaphor is Jesus, the gate for the sheep, the one we'll be talking about today. But the other metaphor is Jesus, the shepherd for the sheep, who hear his voice and follow his voice. And we'll look at Jesus, the shepherd for the sheep, next week. But today we're going to focus on Jesus as the gate for the sheep. Now, in the ancient world, sheep were an essential part of life. Uh, sheep and goats were the most common domesticated animals that families would own. And uh, even poor families would have at least a couple of sheep. And although sheep were sometimes eaten, especially in desperate times, and used for their milk, most people kept sheep for their wool. Once a year, a sheep's wool was sheared, and then that wool was used to make clothing to keep a family warm during the cold winter months. And so sheep were essential to survival. Sheep faced two primary dangers back then. One danger was from criminals, thieves and robbers who would try to steal sheep from their owners. But the second danger was from wild animals like wolves and bears and other predators. And so there's this Bible scholar named Kenneth Bailey who wrote a book called The Good Shepherd. And he spent his life studying rural life in Israel. And he says that some of the most lively conversations among shepherds are about how they've kept their sheep from these two dangers as they sit around swapping stories. And in Bailey's book, The Good Shepherd, he suggests that this passage in John chapter 10 actually describes two different settings. One in verses 1 through 3, and then a different setting in verses 7 through 10. Bailey says that verses 1 through 3 describe a courtyard gate. A courtyard gate. This is the gate that led into the courtyard that was usually built around a person's house within a village. Some courtyards would be built around two or even three houses, especially if they were poorer families that had small houses, and they would share a courtyard. 
Families would keep their sheep and other livestock in the courtyard at night in order to keep them safe. And courtyard walls were usually at least five feet tall and they would be built with thorns or broken glass on top of the walls in order to deter thieves from climbing the walls and breaking in. That's why in verse one, Jesus talks about thieves climbing in to the sheep pen. Now the courtyard gate usually had a gatekeeper, which was usually a member of the family whose job it was to open and close the gate to let people in and out of the courtyard. We see that in verse 3 of our reading. Each morning, the shepherd in the family would lead the flock of sheep out of the courtyard to graze for the day, and then at evening would lead the flock back to the courtyard gate for the gatekeeper to open the gate and bring the sheep into the courtyard for safekeeping that night. Outside the gate, the shepherd would call out to the gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper would recognize the shepherd's voice and open the gate for the shepherd. Now, verse 6 tells us that the Pharisees didn't really understand what Jesus was getting at with this metaphor. And so in verses 9 and through 10... Jesus develops this metaphor further. But according to Bailey, Jesus shifts from describing the courtyard sheep pen to the wilderness sheep pen that shepherds would use. See, the thing about sheep is they're always hungry. And during the dry months of the year in ancient Israel, shepherds would have to travel further and further away from their village in order to find places for the sheep to graze until finally the rains came and, and, and grass would grow and they'd be able to, to have them graze closer to the village. And so this often during the, the hot months would require shepherds to keep the flock in the wilderness overnight during these dry months. According to Bailey, throughout the open countryside, shepherds built makeshift enclosures to safeguard the sheep during the dark from danger. And so here's an artistic rendition of one of these uh, wilderness sheep pens that were throughout the, the wilderness area. These stone structures were usually freestanding, they didn't have a roof and they didn't have a gate or an entrance or a door. The only vulnerable point of entry was the entryway. And so according to Bailey, the shepherd himself would sleep across the doorway in order to make sure that a thief didn't sneak in and a wolf didn't sneak in to attack the flock. And Bailey says, this is why Jesus seems like he's mixing metaphors here. Because in the wilderness sheep pen, the shepherd is both the shepherd for the sheep and the gate that keeps the sheep safe overnight by sleeping across the entry point. So in verse 7 and again in verse 9, we find this I am statement. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Jesus is the gatekeeper for the courtyard sheep pen and the gate itself for the wilderness sheep pen. 
And in both, both cases, Jesus is the one who keeps the sheep safe from harm, from thieves, wild animals, and other predators. Sheep who enter the pen through the gate will be safe from danger. They will come in the pen and go out of the pen with freedom as long as they go in and come out through the gate. Sheep will find pasture, plenty of food to eat, fresh water to drink, room to relax if they enter through the gate. Verse 10 of chapter 10 of John is one of the more well-known teachings of Jesus, that thieves come intent on destroying life. They come to steal the sheep, to shear their wool, and ultimately to kill the sheep for food. Thieves come to ruin the sheep pen, to lead the sheep astray from the shepherd who's pledged to keep them safe. But Jesus has come as the gate for the sheep to bring them into abundant life, life to the full. And once again, in this I am statement, we see a connection between the statement and life. And we're back in the first I am statement in chapter 6. Jesus said he was the bread of life, sustenance, nourishment for eternal life. Last week in chapter 8, we saw that Jesus is the great I am and that those who trust in him will never taste death but have eternal life. In chapter 11, he'll say that I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, he will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here we see Jesus is the gateway to life, abundant life, eternal life, a restored relationship with God in the here and now. So let's summarize this metaphor before we apply it. The sheep represent people. You and I and other people. The sheep pen represents the church. Jesus' flock. The strangers, thieves, and robbers represent people who want to harm the sheep. People who want to harm Christians. And since Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, I think we can infer that he's calling them out as strangers, thieves, and robbers. But really that represents anybody who would want to harm his flock. The pasture represents the full and abundant life that Jesus came to give us, a relationship with God that's filled with spiritual freedom and overflowing blessings and provision for what we need and protection from harm. It represents life as life was intended to be lived. So let's explore two epiphanies, two surprising insights that come from this fourth I am statement. And here's the first. Jesus can keep us safe from harm. As our gate, Jesus can keep us safe from harm. You know, one of my favorite um, quotes is by a, a, a Presbyterian pastor and author named Frederick Beekner, And it goes like this. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I love that quote. Because in our world, beautiful and terrible things do happen. This is our world. We live in a world that is just charged with God's beauty, but also filled with danger. 
And one of those dangers is spiritual dangers. Our world is filled with predators who want to breach Jesus' sheep pen in order to harm his sheep. But these predators, they don't just like announce themselves, I'm a predator, trust me. Instead, they disguise themselves. Jesus talked about wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. False teachers are a kind of spiritual predator. These are people who claim to speak for God, but they teach ideas that aren't true and that are not consistent with what the Bible teaches and what the historic Christian faith believes. False teaching, it usually sounds good at first because it usually quotes a couple of Bible verses at least. But if you look at it more closely, it departs from the biblical doctrine, historic Christian theology. And our media is filled with false teaching. On, on Facebook and YouTube and over the radio and television and books, sometimes even in churches from church pulpits. Let me give you one little small example. Um, a while back, someone sent me a link to an article from a publication called the Epoch Times. Now, I had never heard of the Epoch Times before. And so um, I did a little research, and it didn't take me long to discover that the Epoch Times is published by a religious group called Falun Gong from China. Now, I didn't know much about Falun Gong from China. And so, you know, you can see me going down this rabbit hole now. The Google rabbit hole, you've done that before. Um, and so I started researching the Falun Gong. And according to the magazine Christianity Today, the magazine founded by Billy Graham, the founder of this religious group um, claims to be a divine being who is sent to earth to lead a fight against aliens who are living among us who look like they're human. And so Falun Gong claims, at least the founder claims, that all human beings are gods, but we've lost um, touch with our divine status. But through meditation in this religion, we can regain our awareness of our godness and join in this battle against the aliens hidden among us. Now, I, I didn't know any of that stuff before. Now, let me go out on a limb and say that I think this idea is inconsistent with historic Christian faith. And my friend who sent me this article, he had no idea that Epoch Times was published by a group promoting this teaching. This kind of thing is everywhere. Of people trying to scale the walls of Jesus' sheep pen in order to get at his sheep. Now, some spiritual predators, they have correct doctrine, but they also have a hidden agenda to exploit Jesus' flock. Sometimes predators are after power or access to, to, to vulnerable members of the flock, but often these kinds of predators are after money, like a thief who wants to shear the sheep in order to sell the wool. Uh, probably 20 years ago when I was pastoring my first church, um, I got a phone call one time from a leader of a political action group. Now, this political action group was fighting for a cause that I happened to agree with. But the person asked me if I would give him access to the church's membership mailing list so his political action group could send fundraising letters to all the members of our church. 
He told me that although it was technically illegal for me to sell him that list, there was a loophole that I could temporarily lease him that list, um, and that was legal, and they would be glad to pay a generous fee for the list. Now, I told him I didn't think that was a good idea, and I didn't think it was right to disclose our church members' personal information to his organization, even if it was a cause I agreed with. He didn't like my answer. So he started yelling at me, telling me I must not really believe in the cause and, and I, I'm a bad pastor. And he kept yelling. Finally, I hung up the phone and he called back and yelled at our receptionist who answered the phone until she finally hung up. And it, it became clear that he was more interested in raising money for his cause than in Jesus. If you're not sure if someone's motives are right, you can often figure it out if you just follow the money. Jesus can keep us safe from spiritual predators that want to harm his church. Now, Jesus often does that through a church's leadership. One of the, the, the tasks of elders and pastors is to serve as overseers, to, to, to protect a congregation from false teaching and, and from people that would come in with hidden agendas. Now, this is why at Glenkirk we insist that every pastor and every elder affirm our essential tenets that we're united in our commitment to historic biblical Christianity. This is also why we have a safety and security team on our campus, and they do a, a fantastic job of keeping us safe during our events and during worship. It's why we do background checks on people who volunteer with minors. But people, even pastors and elders, are imperfect. Ultimately, Jesus is our gate, the one we can trust to keep us safe from harm. Here's the second epiphany from this, this I am statement. Jesus opens the way to the abundant life. He opens the way to the abundant life. He doesn't just keep us safe. He is the gate to human flourishing. You know, throughout history, people have debated what the good life is. Um, the, the Greek philosopher Aristotle said that the good life is the virtuous life. Aristotle believed that being a good person will lead to becoming a happy person. And that's all well and good, but Aristotle had no solution for how sinful people could become good people. Another philosopher named Epicurus said that the good life is enjoying life's pleasures. Good food, good wine good intimacy, good companionship. This is the good life, said Epicurus. And yet pursuing life's pleasures above all else often enslaves us to those very things that are giving us pleasure. When we make the pursuit of pleasure the, the highest goal in life, they become, those pleasures become a source of pain and destruction. Overindulging in food can lead to gluttony. Drinking too much good wine can lead to alcohol addiction. Many people in our society today think that the good life means gaining as much money and possessions as we can. Sometimes that's called materialism. Yet an overwhelming number of studies indicates that materialism actually destroys people's happiness. In the 1970s, they started using a word called affluenza, the epidemic of unhappiness among affluent people. 
people who have a lot. A, a preoccupation with wealth leads to higher levels of anxiety and depression and broken relationships. Jesus is claiming here that as the gate, he is the gate to the good life, a life of abundance and fullness. Eternal life through faith in Jesus is the good life, the life that we were created to live. Through Jesus, we can develop goodness to live lives of virtue. Through Jesus, we can enjoy life's pleasures without becoming enslaved to life's pleasures. Through Jesus, we can earn money and, and have possessions without being controlled by greed and owned by our possessions. Through Jesus, even when pain and tragedy hits, we can find meaning and purpose in the midst of it. So it really comes down to the question of whether we really believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about or not. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard used to say that that claiming that Jesus is your Lord doesn't mean that much if you don't also believe that Jesus was smart enough to know how to live life. That if we can trust Jesus for where we go when we die, why is it so hard for us to trust Jesus for how to live our lives before we die? Do we believe that Jesus was smarter than Aristotle or Epicurus or the people that promote modern materialism today. He claims that he is. He is the gate to life. Our world can be a dangerous place. Several years ago, I was driving home after teaching a college theology class. I think it was a class for Biola. And um, on the drive home, I accidentally cut off another driver. And that driver um, started following me home. And as he did, he got more and more aggressive. He would like speed way up like he was going to ram into the back of my car and then he would pass me and then try to cut me off. Um, and he kept at it for miles and I was starting to get worried. And because this was years ago, I didn't have a cell phone with me to call the police and I certainly didn't want to drive home so he knew where I lived. And so as I'm driving and this guy's getting more and more aggressive, I got an idea. I, at that time, I was a volunteer police chaplain at the local police department, and I had the key fob with me to the electric gate where all the police employees would park. <laughs> and so instead of driving home, I drove up to the uh, parking lot where all the police officers and police employees parked, and I used my key fob, and the gate began to open, and as he drove by, he saw the gate start to open, and he sped off and took off. That gate saved me from what could have been a very ugly confrontation. Gates are designed to protect us, to offer us safety from danger, but also to open us up to what's inside the gate, and Jesus is that gate to keep us safe from harm and to open up for us eternal life. And as we gather together as a church each Sunday, we are his flock. We are his sheep. His sheep together in the sheep pen in the church under his caring and watchful eye. We enter into worship through the shepherd who is also the gate the one who promises to keep us safe and to lead us into abundant life. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for these words of Jesus and the promise that they have. And Lord, we live in a beautiful and terrible world where beautiful and terrible things happen. Thank you that we have one who loves us. One who will walk with us. One who can keep us safe from harm and lead us into life. Jesus, there is no one like you. There's no one who can do what you've done and what you can do. Keep us close to your voice. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.